some of this. The State of Combat with Brian Campbell returns on CBS Sports. And we back with the MMA edition. Yes, we still do that show around here. I back. Trust me. I back. Tell him, Andy. Tell him, Big Spider. This show is back, and it's off the damn rails. The Brian Campbell, absolutely, of course, the voice that you hear. You know I got the wisest man in mixed martial arts across from me on the Skype machine, CBS Sports editor, writer, Brandon Wise, joining me. Brando, I said off the rails to describe this. People know I was on a cruise ship last week. I was off the radar, phone unplugged, no Wi-Fi for eight days, living the life, and then winter storm, whatever you want to call it, kept me stranded in Orlando for four days. So, we're just going to roll off the balls and see what happens with this podcast. I'm running on no sleep, poor nutrition. How you been, though? How's South Florida treating you? You see, I tried to send location. You never picked up location. Where now we're here? What what how how are we doing this podcast right now? <laughs> if you want to find me, please just send me location. I am back. Send me location. Okay, I got it, Habib. You know, okay. Hey. Hey, hey. All right. I'm glad to see Habib that that the show still works, that you still work. I can be fat. I could not have a six-pack. But my dick works. Oh! My dick works. Wow. All right. We're already going there. Hey, Brandon Wise. Hey, MMA listeners. Your boy BC was sequestered in a hotel room somewhere in Orlando, but I made it. It's about negative degrees here in Connecticut. My car was stuck in the airport parking lot in ice. I back, though, brother. Trust me, I back because the people need to hear our analysis about all items like UFC Brooklyn and the debut of the UFC on ESPN Plus era. A preview of this weekend's Bellator 114, sorry, 214, 214 card in LA. Brando, a good ass card, and is it Fedor Bader or Fader Bader? The choice is yours. We're gonna break down that card in detail. We're gonna get all fired up about Henry Cejudo sliding in Nikki Bella's DMs if that, if that's something that gets you off. All right. Anyway, we're going to do a lot of things. It's going to be brought to you by the Performance Enhancing Audio. If you like anything you hear, five-star review, all that crap. But, uh, wise man, uh, MMA's, uh, it's heating up right now. There's been a lot of fights. While I've been out there, uh, you know, surfing the buffets, sticking, sticking. Well, I don't know. I've been out there sticking. A lot of good fights have been getting booked here. Yeah, well, you were spearfishing with Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> I'm sitting here watching all of this great fight action, wondering – Damn, BC must be living the life right now as we watch Henry Cejudo end the TJ Dillashaw reign. And then we also saw Greg Hardy illegally somebody in the head very <laughs> clearly. So, I, I mean, it was such a great weekend in general, but you could not have planned a better start for ESPN, uh, UFC on ESPN than what happened Outside of maybe the main event ending in 30 seconds, the same way that UFC on Fox debuted with 45 seconds of main event action. But outside of that, everything went so well. The the TV uh, broadcast was so smooth. Shout out to the pacing, by the way. Yes, finally. Finally. Six fight main card starting at 10 10 p.m. ended... Before Manny Pacquiao and Adrian Broner even walked to the ring. It's a joy. It's a, we don't, we're not used to that in combat sports, getting to actually watch oh. everything we want. Wow. Wow. That's getting me fired up. 
Yes, thank you for the pacing in the plus era ESPN plus UFC. The relationship starts out with a bang. And I have to tell you, uh, you know, they of course flaunted they meaning ESPN their, their statistics from that, but you kind of got to read those statistics and be like, wow, what did they say? They claim that between Friday and Saturday, they, they, uh, increased spon- the subscription on ESPN plus by 584,000. Bro, that's, that's, uh, that's legit. Yeah, and the other number that I saw was that the prelims on ESPN did 1.95 million, which was more than any UFC on Fox card and any prelims UFC on FS1 did. Like, I mean, the machine works, man. It's pretty That's clear. crazy because this card is was good on paper, not great by any means, right? It wasn't even as good as, as typical UFC on Fox shows and maybe – because this wasn't a UFC on ESPN show. It was UFC on ESPN Plus. But still, they moved a big title fight that was supposed to be this weekend in L.A. to Brooklyn for this. Cejudo Dillashaw. And maybe some of that is curiosity to see what the new era looks like. But come on. With that engine behind you of SportsCenter to be able to now promote your product even more diligently because there's a financial incentive. Yeah, it's a victory. It's a day one victory for UFC. We'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. But... uh they kept the broadcast the same, though. I mean, UFC is going to control that broadcast. We knew that coming in. I, d- I didn't see much of a change when I went back and rewatched it. Yeah, that was what like stood out to us while we were watching it. While you were, you know, in Jamaica or wherever, <laughs> we we were just like, nothing has changed. Like it's literally the same icon logos. It's the same uh, intros. It's the same walkout themes. The same graphics. All of it. And I had to. I had to tell our buddy Jack, I was like, yeah, because that was what UFC negotiated with all these these broadcast networks. It's like, we control the broadcast, not you guys. Yeah. And ESPN agreed. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, to me, it's fine. I I never had a problem with how they present it because you can only do so much, you know? Yeah. You, you know, UFC, UFC's like, the way, you don't get us off, right? Is that what gets you off? Don't you understand? We get them off. I mean that's that's understandable. That's 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 clear and clean and clear right there. But the biggest addition I thought was the addition of Trevor Whitman as a cornerman. Um, he was giving analysis in in between rounds as they were starting as to if if the coaches were tr- were telling their fighters the correct techniques or if they were giving them the right game plans in the corner. I thought that was really interesting and really helps the broadcast more than just having DC and John Anik giving you, hey, so he needs to do this now, you know. Speaking of uh, send me location, did uh, your T-shirt arrive on our recent weird UFC T-shirt bet when I lost that fight? Uh, did you did your uh, UFC 25 anniversary shirt fall into your it mailbox? It did. It did. I've worn it like three times already since I've got it, and I wanted to send you a picture, but I didn't know if you would get it in the Barbados. Like, well, you know, uh, you know where I was hanging, right near the beach. Good times. Good times and great oldies out there until uh, everyone got sick in Orlando and I was hijacked in a room. But that's another story. Look, that's what comes with, 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 uh, with you know, you take a chance, you go out there and live your life. That's what's going to happen to you. But, yeah, big, big bang going on in MMA. Enjoyed that. You got your T-shirt. I got to win the next one because I got to get that Thug Rose T-shirt. And we're talking about going on the UFC merchandise website and just kind of finding the uh, the reject shirts there that are uh, marked down. They got this cool Thug Rose one where she's wearing the uh, those you know the, the sunglasses, the meme black sunglasses that show up everywhere. I got to get that one next in our next bet. All right. 
I think our new rule has to be any of them that are marked 40% off. <laughs> yeah, so that Travis Hoppe brown shirt, the one left in the world that 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 your girl Rhonda didn't pick up, you're going to have to win that one next time, all right? The one that's like $6. <laughs> By the way, I did re- – I did. I, you're going to like this. I did represent the shirt that I won in a bet from you, the Team Baron Henan Barao shirt. I represented that on the island and one porter janitor on the ship of Hispanic descent – he came up to me and he said, but oh, yeah, he goes, did Sahudo win? I was like, I don't know, dude, I don't have Wi-Fi. I mean, you tell me, but, but, you know, we made a connection. We, we connected, uh, you know, he, he had me at, at, at hello there. So I'm, I'm real happy with that. Let's talk about this card. Main event, of course, was it the end of the flyweight division? I still don't think we know that, but we saw Bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw move down in weight, 125, face the current champ, Henry Cejudo. And it did not last long. 32 seconds, TKO, questionable stoppage, a lot to talk about. But if the point is to get Henry Cejudo, Mexican-American star, U.S. Olympic gold medalist in wrestling, good-looking dude, get him over as maybe their next big put-the-rocket-fuel-on-him and, and, and push him out there, you could not have asked for a better showcase, a better finish. TKO one. your thoughts? So let's start before the fight even happens, right? So the press conference happens on Thursday before this fight. TJ looked bad. Like I was concerned about TJ's health. The the way that his head looked was like, dude, how are you cutting all of this extra weight? Like we talked about it before how we didn't understand how he was going to even make 125 because he's a small bantamweight as it is. He looked like I'm showing BC on camera. He looked this big. Like it's a bad. His, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but seriously, this was a bad health decision. Uh, I I will never understand the doctors and his scientists or whatever that helped him get down to one twenty five. But it, I was worried on Thursday, and it made me feel safer about my pick of Cejudo because I was like, dude, if this fight goes five rounds, he's not gonna make it. Like he's just gonna be so exhausted from this cut. We get to Friday. He's the first dude in line for the weigh-ins. He weighs in at 124 and a half. And it's like, all right, he did it. He doesn't look great to me, but he looks like he's, he doesn't look like he's struggling to get on the scale. He doesn't look like he's overly exerted at this point. Like he did the cut the way that he needed to do it, right? I just still wasn't sure he was going to do it. <laughs> like I was still unsure about how this was going to look. And because Henry looked fine. Henry looked like he normally looks when he hits the weigh-ins. He looked, he looked not bulky, but he looked fit and he looked muscular. He didn't look sunk, sunken in or anything. So we get into the octagon and you can tell the difference in size already. Like, Cejudo is a little bit shorter than TJ, but you can see he's stocky at this point. He's not holding on to all this water weight or anything. Like, you could tell who had more power before they even threw a punch. And it shows as soon as the first bell rings because Cejudo just goes flying at him because in his mind, the strategy is he's not going to be able to survive these big flurries because of how tired he thinks that TJ is from this cut. And it works because three punches in, he drops, he drops TJ. TJ stumbles back up to his feet, gets caught again as he's coming up. His chin turns for everything that TJ said after the fight, which we'll get into in a second, but his chin turns. He goes down again. Henry, uh, TJ tries to grab for a leg, and Henry just keeps punching and keeps punching. 
ref stops the fight. Henry is your winner and creates even more problems in the, in UFC's flyweight and bantamweight division. A lot of problems. There's a lot of problems here. Okay. Hindsight, of course, is 2020. And you can say, well, where was this outrage heading into this week? I'll tell you where it was. They got me. Dana White, you got me. Okay. Hindsight now, now that we know what we know, what a horrific decision for TJ Dillashaw. And in theory for the UFC, when you have a guy in Dillashaw, one of your pound for pound best, why are you making him go down to a, this isn't BJ Penn floating around eight different divisions like a shape-shifting chameleon. This is a prime guy who's never fought at this weight class before. Why is he doing it? If he was doing it to beat Demetrius Johnson in some form of a super fight where you're like, wow, imagine if he put that win on his resume. DJ's making him come down because DJ's the A-side. There's some arguments in there where you understand it. In hindsight now, this makes no sense. But here's why it does, and here's what I missed. You know what the two theories coming in on why this fight was happening in the beginning? Number one, TJ said it himself. Dana on the UFC sending TJ down there to kill the flyweight division. I got blinded by that. I got caught up in that. I believed it. Number two, if you're going to do a super fight, which right now it feels like when back in the day UFC wouldn't want to touch those. Ever since BJ got beat up by GSP really bad in that rematch, UFC was like, we're not in the super fight business. Although in Pettis, you can't fight each other. Now, of course, they're just going to go after every possible super fight they can. So in that, you're giving somebody a chance to become a champ champ and enter the pantheon, right? So Hudo did not earn that opportunity as of yet because he had one giant win over Johnson, which I didn't even think he wanted. I thought Johnson got screwed on the cards. So I understood and got brainwashed by the idea of TJ's going down there to kill the division, and if one guy of these two deserves the chance to enter that champ-champ pantheon and really make a leap in terms of their legacy all time, well, I guess it's TJ, right? He's one of the pound-for-pound best, coming off two knockouts of Cody. So, wise man, I'm drinking the juice on both of those. You know what I actually missed coming in? You know I play UFC conspiracy theory a lot. So uh, what I'm about to say, I'm not telling you it's true. I'm telling you if it was, I wouldn't be surprised. You know who UFC has never protected, protected and never really done right and never really understood the star potential? T.J. Dillashaw. Do you remember when he lost that controversial split decision to Dominic Cruz and didn't get another chance at a title for two full years, wise man? He had to go around the back door. He had to beat everybody they put in front of him. Killers like Lineker. He had to do it the hard way. Cody Garbrandt, the guy who they thought was going to be the next big star, got his immediate rematch even though he did not have a title defense. Let's just remind you. And he was coming off of a knockout loss. TJ was never going to be their guy. I... Wasn't factoring that in. If we're going to play UFC conspiracy theory, what's TJ known for? Unionizing. The want to bring union into UFC. Standing up there at that press conference at that one time and being part of that. Dana does not forget. Okay? The Fertitas, the casino owners, former UFC owners. Remember when MMA wasn't legalized in New York all those years? Remember there was a shady politician? You know what the root of that argument was? Unionization. You're going to believe the conspiracy here. This was set up to get Cejudo over as the next star and sacrifice Dillashaw if you have to because they don't love Dillashaw and they never have. Wise, is that a crazy thing? I think this was a sly move matchmaking by the UFC and I missed it coming in. I could see that. I think you're overanalyzing just a tad because I do think that there is some truth. Like there could be truths in both of those things where – 
the UFC does really want to get rid of 125. They like I just don't think that they see see a future in that division. But like you said, maybe they also thought Henry has the chance to become a star. And by killing off TJ, killing off, so to speak, by taking him out, you're getting him a chance to become a new superstar and opening up that market like we've talked about before in Mexico. Now, I don't know, like, because of the way that everything happened post-fight, I am still skeptical about that because Dana puts the belt on Henry, right, and immediately left the octagon. Like, he did not seem like he wanted any part of what was happening in there because, one, it was semi-controversial. Two, he doesn't like – I don't think he likes Henry, man. He like, loves Henry. For, he likes Henry, dude. He uh, sees Henry's dollar signs. Henry can be what Cain Velasquez never could be, and you know this in your heart. But he's not paying him like it. He paid him, I think, two hundred grand for that fight. I mean, come on. He's not. But I don't, if you I believe think, my crazy theory, in theory, you're taking one of your pound for pound best Dillashaw, who you never put the rocket behind, and you're weakening him purposely, saying, "Hey, come down to one twenty five, get a chance to be the champ, champ." And setting it up, so two things can happen. One, Cejudo can knock him out. And two, then you can do the rematch at Bantamweight. And then there's a chance, Brandon, that something like this weakens TJ moving forward. And Cejudo can maybe win a second title. And maybe then you can cancel your flyweight division because now you have the new Bantamweight king, Henry Cejudo, moving forward. Now, I know, look, that that blocks off what could be actually be next, which is a rematch with Joseph Benavidez for the 125 title, which I think is the fight to make. But it's interesting, dude. See, but here's the thing, though. I have so many questions coming out of this fight. Like, I feel like I have more questions than answers because of how everything played out. Did, now, you saw the highlights of this. Did you think it was an early stoppage? Yes, but I do think it was one of those early stoppages that's uh, – I can live with it. It's understandable. Yes, technically it was too early. I don't think it was egregiously, outrageously too early when you consider that he's stumbling around – you know he's going to be compromised by this weight cut, and he's just getting lit up. So I don't think it's uh, Roy Jones, Montel Griffin one or or something. You know, one of these just uh, Mike Tyson. Uh, uh, why am I making all these random boxing references? You know what I'm going at here. I don't think it's well, totally egregious, but TJ had a questionable one like this before in his past when he fought John Dodson. He had one where one of these flash punches where he gets dropped, gets back to his feet, and then gets hit down again, and it does like he looks like he's defending himself. And if you look at the highlight. But the ref immediately jumped in and said, nope, you're done. So I don't know if it's the refs are seeing something with TJ when he gets dropped like that or if TJ – I don't know. It's really weird because TJ did not sound like somebody who had gotten knocked out when he was talking about it post-fight. He, he fully remembers everything that happened. He articulated his point very well. He is a sore loser. I will definitely say that because he sounded like <laughs> self-admittedly. He he did it self-admittedly. He sounded like such a jerk afterwards, saying that Henry should not be happy that he won. Like, dude. Well, yeah. Look, I'm not going to defend TJ's personality. He's a cocky dude, and I think that's what makes him good. But yeah, I don't know. I just think that TJ has an argument to say. Look, it might have been an early stoppage. I I did appreciate that he said, "I will fight him tomorrow at 125." I want to do this again. It's a bad now, idea. It's a bad idea. It, no, it is a bad idea. But I think the idea of him going, of them fighting at 135, it at least levels the playing field in my mind. 
You get two so, fights out of it. It's not the worst idea, but wise, if you're going to do that fight, you've got to get off the pot and make a decision right now about this flyweight division, Dana White. You've got to do it. It's time. No, well, we don't really know. No, you're the freaking UFC president. Make the damn decision because you got a lot of fighters not knowing what the future is going to look like, and it feels like they're sort of playing WWE matchmaker. Like, it feels like they're trying to, if you're going to believe any of my conspiracy BS, that they're kind of manipulating to a certain degree. And by the way, I'm not going the full TJ conspiracy because if I was, I would tell you this. He got screwed against Dodson. He got screwed in that split decision loss against a Sunsau in the first fight. He got screwed on the cards against Cruz. And he had an early stop at Saturday night. I'm not going that far. I'm not going to tell you TJ Dillashaw is still undefeated in my heart like I'm going to tell you Luke Rockhold still is. But <laughs> let me just establish that. There you go. Move, move it forward. To go back to your conspiracy theory, though, that they, that Dana wanted to get him out of there. I'm now thinking about it again. I don't agree with you because Dana was the one pushing that he said he wanted to fight Max Holloway next. He does, he wanted to be a three belt champion. That's how cool, that's how good TJ Dillashaw is. That's what Dana was saying after, before and after the fight. So I don't necessarily agree that they wanted TJ to lose because Dana probably saw a better opportunity with TJ against Max Holloway. Now, Again, I think you and I had talked about this in the past. That's a horrible matchup for TJ because of the size difference oh, that's alone. Bad. That's bad. That's on the level bad of when Faber, Uriah Faber, we had him on this show, told us that time he almost filled in at UFC 196 for RDA against Connor. That would have ended very badly for him the same way TJ would have went down against Max. I, I, I Look, I commend his balls, but look, there's weight classes for a reason. Exactly. It's it's almost at a point where if we're if we're talking about a TJ Max fight, why do we even still have divisions? Why is and why is Dana so against adding more divisions? If you're having these dudes go up and down like this, like willy nilly, like uh, I don't know. look, I think it, just to close on this, I think in Dana's mind it was this: Let me soften up TJ because if Henry becomes the next big star, that's great. Let me get a two fight program out of this. And then your idea of, well, wasn't he the one talking about a super fight against Max? Well, yeah, because in Dana's mind, TJ doesn't draw. So the only way to get him to draw is to keep throwing him in super fights. Dana's thinking about one thing here, bro. Pay-per-view buys. That's all he thinks about anymore. And you can argue that's what he should be thinking about. But it, it, it bleeds into every single decision that the UFC makes. And I think really the last two years has been a lot of contradictory decision-making. You know, who gets stripped and who doesn't, that kind of stuff, that it's all about making that next big fight, and that's how he's thinking. Do you think the rematch is on pay-per-view, though, or is it on ESPN Plus again? Because I think it should be on ESPN Plus again. I wonder if you can go ESPN with that. That's a, ESPN. That's a UFC on ESPN main event to me. It's champion versus champion. There's there's the, the highlight footage of the first-round knockout. I think you got to do it at 135. Look, I think they're going to have to get – look, I mentioned you got to make a decision. Why is they have to make a decision? And if the division is, if the decision is to keep flyweight, then Joseph Benavides deserves a, a, a third chance at that belt. Because this guy right now, tell me if I'm wrong, took Michael Bisping's spot as the best UFC fighter in history never to win a world title. Outside of the fact that Hoist Gracie never officially won a world title, but he won like three tournaments. Am I right there? It's Ken Shamrock, same thing. Super fight champion, ben never, never won a real title. Benavides? Yeah. No, it's Dan Henderson. Yeah, yeah, it is Dan Henderson. You, you wild carded me. You did. You, you slipped in there. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you me on there. It is Dan Henderson, but he's there. He's right there. I, he's I, you in know, discussion. 
you got the built-in fact that he beat Cejudo in what was a great fight, a fight of the year contender. So if you're going to keep flyweight, run that back. If you're not, like, let's make a decision. But they won't. So we, we might as well move on. Yeah. All right, let's talk about ex-NFL star Greg Hardy, who was really pushed into this co-main event against a, I guess you could say a nobody in Alan Crowder, ESPN, looking at the opportunity to take advantage of the headlines, get him in the co-main event, get eyes at ESPN+. Plus. Apparently it worked by the subscription boost. What didn't work was Greg Hardy's. Is feel good the right story? Well, people like retribution. People like second chances. It was on the way to being a feel good story when Greg Hardy was one punching all these guys who didn't deserve to be in there. But now he takes his first L. And it was a weird L. Second round disqualification via illegal knee in a fight that I don't think he was winning. And he sure as heck was gassing out on, brother. You got those people who came out right away and said he was looking for a way out. But was he wise? Was he? Um, I do not think so. I think I, you can only take a man at his word. And what he said after the fight, he said, I knew what I was doing, but I didn't think it would end the way that it did. Meaning he didn't think he didn't think he was going to get disqualified for what he did. He thought he was just going to lose a point for the round. Now, so you're saying he willingly – are you saying from his words you think he admitted he willingly went forward with an illegal strike just thinking, well, I'll get a breather out of it and I'll lose a point. Who cares? Yes. That's the way that it came across to me. Maybe he has a different interpretation of it, but the way that he sounded in the post-fight with Brett Okamoto and then at the press conference afterwards, I mean, he was a broken dude, man. Like. He was so upset with himself. He was upset that he – obviously that he lost, but he was upset – with his performance because like you said he looked gassed like he thought the way that he fought at us at the contender series and then at his other promotions before this he could just go in there 30 seconds knock this dude out clean his clock and then i'm moving on instead he lands a couple of punches he dropped crowder at one point but crowder got right back to his feet credit to him and crowder just didn't fall like he was a du- he was the first dude he has fought who has a legitimate chin. And Greg did not know what to do. It was clear because as soon as he got out of a scramble with him on the ground and got back to his feet, Greg took a big deep breath. And that's when you go, oh, no, he's got nothing now. And Greg got taken down. No idea what he was doing. Like Crowder just did whatever he wanted. They get to the second round and – Crowder starts taunting him, taunting Greg Hardy, like knowing full well what that guy can, is capable of. Greg Hardy's throwing punches. Crowder's just eating them. Like, that's it? That's all you got? And then they scramble to the ground like we were talking about before. And Alan Crowder on both knees, on both knees, trying like moving to get back up, Hardy just took his knee and just right to the side of the temple. I've never seen Dan Mergliata jump like that before, by the way. Like, <laughs> he flew in like he was a damn bird. It was You get off illegal. of him. It was brutally and intentionally legal. All right, look look at this. I'll agree with you that in the, in the Brett Okamoto interview that, that aired on uh, SportsCenter and everywhere. I was, I guess I was, con- I was impressed like I've been this whole road in, in, his, in his MMA run with Hardy, you know, being humble, showing that he screwed up, that he wanted to change. And in this case, I didn't get the feeling that he did the strike on purpose. Maybe I misheard the interview. I got the feeling like he was saying he didn't know the rules, which I guess if that's true, you can believe 
to a degree because he's so early in his career. But if you're saying that I missed that, and what he's essentially saying is he followed on purpose, not thinking he would get DQ'd, then that still falls into he's looking for a way out wise. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's the problem with those kind of questions. It's kind of left up to interpretation, you know. I think now that you're saying it that way, that might be more correct than what I'm thinking. But either way, like, dude, you're you're at one of the best gyms in the country with some of the best coaches for grappling and wrestling. And you're telling me you don't know that that's an illegal knee or that even if it is, you can't like you just can't do that. You're going to get DQ'd that something doesn't compute there between the way that both of us interpreted that interview. Yeah, look, either way, however you slice it, it's a fail. It's a hashtag fail for the opportunity that ESPN wanted, it seemed, to give Greg Hardy. Because look, UFC, we talked about it, kind of set Hardy up to fail here, right here. And I'll give you, I'll give ESPN credit with this. Same argument we had with Rachel Ostevich being on this card and her being allegedly a victim of domestic abuse with her husband heading into this, putting Hardy on the same card for his history of alleged domestic abuse just did not make sense. You're setting him up to fail. You're bringing negativity on something that should be a positive. Yes, I said it. Hardy's retribution story should be presented as a positive. Yes, there's going to be haters watching it, and you can leave it up to interpretation, but you should present it as here's a guy who's trying to turn his life around. Instead, they set him up negatively. I'll give ESPN credit because on SportsCenter, they asked Dana White the right questions heading into it. They brought it up. They didn't avoid it. But in the end, you're kind of putting extra pressure on him. And he did not live up to it. He did not win. He did not blow through this journeyman guy who didn't belong in there, Alan Crowder. It turns out Greg Hardy doesn't belong in here. Now, I'm not going to go crazy and go over the top, but some people are. Brendan Schaub, ex-UFC heavyweight, podcast host for SportsCenter on Below the Belt with Brendan Schaub. He said, quote, this isn't a redemption story. This is a piece of shit story, end quote, and went off that Hardy doesn't even deserve to be in there. I think there's levels to that argument. We've had that before. I think he deserves a second chance. I didn't think he deserved co-main event here. Either way you slice it wise, this is a fail. I mean, he's going to get another chance, of course, but this this is this damaged the, the product. Dana said that after the fight, he's definitely going to give him another chance, but... Two things, uh, three things actually. One, that's Showtime, not Sports Center. Um, did I say Sports Center podcast? Yeah, you did. Um, I, I'm washed, all right. I'm washed right now in many ways. Two, John Anik. Credit to him also because before that fight started, the first thing he mentioned was Greg Hardy's past. He did not mention the fight, his fight career leading up to this. He mentioned the domestic violence stuff. He mentioned his career in the NFL. He laid it out there because I think he, among everybody else, was just as uncomfortable with having to, to call that fight and and present that the way that they wanted it. Three, Daniel Cormier, I think, had a really great point during the broadcast that you did a disservice to Greg Hardy in this situation. Not just your own company. You hurt him because you put him in the co-main event of the evening before a champion versus champion fight. I You can say all you want about that guy's been in big moments before and, and all of that stuff. Dude, He's making his UFC debut in Brooklyn on the first ESPN card. You can't tell me nerves did not play a factor into that, man. And he went out and showed that it seemed, to me anyway, it seemed like nerves got the best of him because why would you go out there guns blazing when you could have easily just waited, been more patient, just played out a game plan instead of just going, I'm going to go knock this dude out really quick. You know? What you did was you unintentionally turned him into CM Punk in the octagon. 
What a load of crap! You're right, you're right, CM. It, it was. And that's, that's unfortunate, like I said, you took a, a potentially good story and you put it in the wrong light, and you're right. It became a joke fight where he didn't belong there. Because of course he doesn't belong in the co-main event at this point. It was just a bad decision all around, and it ended, not worst case. Worst case, I think, is he gets one punch KO'd or has a dot of 5,000 heart attack in the cage, which we were probably on our way to there in round three, by the way. You know, I don't know where Hardy's stamina actually is at there. R.I.P. Kimbo, but... uh Wow, not good. Hey, let's go on down the card, though. What, what jumped out to you the rest of the way? I mean, I mentioned Joseph Benavidez took a unanimous decision over Dustin Ortiz. I think he at least showed us. You want to do that Cejudo fight? He's ready. He deserves it. So let's. I'm going to run down some of the winners from this, but before we get to the, the big thing that we need to talk about at the end of this card, um, one, Gregor Gillespie looked fantastic. He might not have a very fun fight style to watch, but good Lord, is that guy a beast wrestler. Yancy Medeiros is a really good fighter, and I've never seen him look like that in the ring before. Well, you he said lo- really good, bro. I gotta stop you there. You said really good. He's a, he's a, he's a fun brawler. Is he really good? Is he, is he actually really good? His chin is deteriorating. Just, alright, Con- Connor said that, not me. I'm just, I'm just telling you. He was good before he lost to Cerrone. Anyway, so Gregor Gillespie, he's on the longest active finishing streak in UFC right now. He's at six in a row, I think. I mean, if you're looking for a dude who can make a quick jump, Gregor Gillespie is that guy, even though he keeps saying he wants to slow build. He wants to slowly move his way up in the ranks. But he's somebody that we need to pay attention to, I think, in 2019. Um, two, Glover Teixeira, man. <laughs> Glover is back. He looked like he was about to lose against Carl Roberson, who was another one of these Dana White Contender Series fighters. And he got rocked early, dropped. He looked like he was out. Like He went down to both knees and seemed like he was unconscious. But he rallies back and somehow gets an arm triangle choke, and finishes Roberson. Like, it was one of the most stunning turn of events I've seen in a while where you just see a fight turn on a dime, and it's the, it's the most mixed martial arts thing of all time. <laughs> you, sir, are um, the most MMA out there. Thank you. Thank basically. you. And um, the other, only other one before we get to the, uh, the two main fights that we want to talk about, Alonzo Menafield, man. If you need a dude right now at 205 that looks the part. I need a dude. Yeah, I need that. Alonzo Menafield, man. Like, he has crazy power. He looks, to me, he looks like Rumble did at the end of his run there. Wow. Like, Bloated and, and on his back? What? Bloated no. and laying on his back? No, no, just kidding, just kidding. No, he, he's got crazy power, and he walked through uh, Vincius Morea. And, I mean, he's going to need some build, but he's got the power that you need at 205 to light some people up. I'm, I'm in. Can you light up your boy Anthony Smith or no? Uh, I think so. He of 13 losses. All right. Uh, hey, PVC Paige Van Zandt. Second yes. round submission over the aforementioned Rachel Ostovich. Uh, I think we're past the point of course. Look, look, I'll, I'll reiterate. I'm, I'm still surprised. Even with the Greg Hardy jetpack fuel push to the co-main event didn't deserve it. I'm shocked that Paige Van Zandt wasn't in this co-main event. I'm still shocked. I get that, look, she's, she's more dancing with the stars than she is Rose Namajunas. Like, it's, it's not gonna happen. But she's still marketable. There's still something here. And this was a move in the right direction. Race Lotovitz had a 500 record coming in. She's not necessarily moving product herself here, but this is, this is successful. This was a good promotion move right here. So, this is what I will say about this fight. For as much as we talk about 135 and 115 being really fun divisions, these girls looked very slow. Like, their octagon speed, like, in and out of their, their movements, 
I, I don't know what it was, but to me, watching it, they just didn't seem like they had any speed in there. Like maybe it was because they were trying to both set up submission attempts or, or get to the ground, but I, I was kind of shocked watching that and seeing how slow Paige's setups were to try and set up her kicks or her, or, or her big combinations because she's never looks like that. And I don't know if it's because she was just tentative coming off of that surgery and being out a year, but it was really weird. Which surgery, Before, by the way, were you referring to? The shoulder surgery. Well, I just, I, look, I gotta, I gotta put it out there. I gotta, we gotta, we gotta just understand, you know, where we're at. Break out the red panty. No, stop it, stop it, stop it. Anyway, so bef- after all that goes through, then um, Paige actually gets a hold of of Ostevich's shoulder, pulls her down, and Ostevich's full body weight falls once Paige gets the the tra- the the armbar locked in, and you like you could hear the pop in her elbow. It was pretty gross. Like I'm I'm hoping that Rachel Ostevich does not need surgery, but it sounded bad. Look, it's not a, it's not a, 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 uh, a, hey, she's ready for a title shot. I'd just say it's a positive development. You just sure. say, look, 115 is the division. Okay, for women. It's the second best division in the sport. It's incredible. Every fight. Don't talk good about 135 at the moment. Outside of Nunez, there's not much going on there. And this fight, for the record, was a flyweight by, flyweight fly bout at 125. And besides the great Valentina Shevchenko, there ain't much good going on in that division anyway. So it's 115 or nothing right now for UFC women outside of Nunez, just to remind you. Did you see – I don't know if you saw Dana White said after the show that he thinks Jessica I is going to get the next shot at, she, at Shevchenko. I can understand that. Uh, you know, I will talk crap. She's marketable. That's a, that's a very shallow division. Very, very shallow. I can't believe they actually have rankings. I mean, is this going to be a sexist comment? I don't know. Should they just go open weight with women? Do we have enough quality women outside of 115? Do we have enough? Enough quality. Um, you don't have you don't have anything at 145. You don't even have rankings, UFC. I know I say that all the time. Two years in, guys, you still don't have rankings on your website. I mean, you've probably got 10 or 15 at 135, right? Well, we had... But who's really prime right now? Is it uh, maybe I'm blinded by the fact that Nunez has essentially cleaned out this division en route to becoming the women's goat, which I think she is. But look, Rousey's out. You know, Zingano's passed. There's a lot of Zingano's left who have already been to the mountaintop and were proven that they are not worthy of that. That ain't a division outside of these. One or two up and comers who, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, really, it's a division. I'm not saying you close shop at 135. You you can restock that. There's, you know, you can still get a couple more fights out of Holly Holm. But like, my point is, like, 45 may have to go, and 25 may have to go. Seriously, there's nobody there. I mean, 45 is what we all predicted before the start of the year that they're going to get rid of it. Um, I think. I don't know. I think it's too young at this point that we don't really know what there is because the two biggest fights that we've seen at 125 were they were entertaining. I mean, Shevchenko against jo- uh, Joanna was good, even though, like you said, Joanna came up and she didn't look like the same Joanna because she definitely doesn't have the power that translates. But I mean, this fight was entertaining. Like for all all the all the smack I just talked about it be, being them being slow, like. They were still entertaining enough that people will be interested in the 125 division. We just don't know. We need to see them develop the division. Like that's the thing that we keep talking about is 
You can introduce a belt anytime you want to, but if you're not developing fight developing fighters at that weight to compete at the highest level, then what are we doing here? Nothing. We're doing we're 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 doing we're doing nothing. Nothing good. Nothing nothing worth watching there. And I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Hey, shout out by the way to lightweight Dennis Bermudez who ended a four fight win streak with a win on the preliminary undercard and walked away from the sport on his own terms at 32. I like that. Uh, to close on the PVC thing, uh, what do you do with her next? What do you do with her next? She's apparently at flyweight now. I don't know if she can still make straw. I don't think you push her up the ladder and set her up to lose. Do you, is she a featured fighter from this point forward? Uh, Just, hey, let's you, give her a matchup. She can win. We want to go back to the Beck Rawlings route. Uh, route the rowdy one. Beck, the other rowdy. The, uh, the other rowdy one. How about, um, she'll be at the Royal Rumble on Sunday, Derek. Thank you. Thank you. How about the girl that just got – I just beat Ch- Caitlin Chuchigan. That seems like a fun fight to me. All right. All right. That's fine. That's fine. It, Let's it, talk about the real fun that happened at, on Sun, on Saturday that you missed. Come on. What do you got? You got you talking about Cowboy? You talking about Cowboy oh, Cerrone? It's the, all, the all-time leader in wins in UFC history and appearances and like all these other categories. He back, bro. Trust me. He back. I, get, I, <laughs> I was literally saying before the fight – because they took a picture of him getting wrapped up, and the angle that they took the picture at, he looked 50 years old. I'm not joking with you. Like, his mustache and beard combination made him look like an old man about to walk into the octagon. I couldn't believe it. Well, he lives a hard like, life. I mean, let's be honest. He probably likes Bud Can. He lives a hard life. He's a cowboy. Been in a lot of damn fights. But, you know, this. it felt good. It felt good to see him get this knockout. Certainly, it opens up a lot of doors for big business. But this is now two in a row. It sort of ends that run when he had the three, the four losses in five fights. Three of those against fairly elite competition. We're talking about Maz Vidal, Lawler, and Darren Till. You still can make fun fights, but I felt like even more than like, hey, let's get him a win. I feel like he's kind of back in a good place because here's the thing about Cowboy: he's always been his worst enemy when it comes to matchmaking. Wise, you know this. Because he doesn't care about anything but cashing them checks. And he's always honest about that. So because of that, he wants to fight every month, every two months. It's the UFC sometimes. It's like, whoa, Donald, take a step back, bro. <laughs> and lately, by at least giving, making him wait four months, I guess, it allows him to retool, be more healthy, be more ready. I don't need to see Cowboy every month. But from this point forward to close his career, we're probably going to see some fun fights. And I'd rather see fun fights for him against big names then continue to see him on this level of matchmaking where he may lose every other one just because he fights too much. Yeah. And to his credit, he once again called for the name that I think we all want to see. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. What I'm talking about, that's the fight to make, Wise. And we've said it on this show before. Nobody gets soft touches in the UFC. Nobody gets get well fights, set up fights. This is a time probably to give Connor a confidence raising, still marketable setup fight. We've talked about it. Don't send him back in there against Habib for business purposes yet. Don't send him in there against Tony, Nate for the trilogy. Put him in there against Aldo for a tr- for a rematch, or put him in there against Cowboy, which is a high-profile fight that Connor very well could and should win. Yet at the same time, 
you can argue both ways and you know you're getting action and trash talking. Yeah, I think at this point, before we get to another Connor title fight, if he even wants that, because I don't even know what Connor's plans are anymore. And I like, hope that Malinaji boxing rumor is a bad rumor. I really hope it is. Paulie shot it down. Ugh. Anyway, thanks for <laughs> making me feel like crap in the middle of that sentence. Um, yeah, I just think that this is – if you're thinking of like pay-per-view buys, like that fight is going to move some damn product, man. Like especially with all the trash talk that they've had in their past. Like I saw that video circulating from the – whatever that mega press conference was with Connor before the – was it the Aldo fight? No, I don't remember which one it was. I think it was the uh, Mendez, the one, the one that announced the Alvarez fight, because that's the one where he talked trash to Jeremy Stevens. That's also the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and he's in the background. Donald's in the background, just talking crap. And Connor's like, "You're stiff as a board. You'll never. You have no movement." <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he ends it as Cowboy keeps talking smack, going, "Yeehaw!" And I was just like, come on, like, if there's a promo to be made, it's that! It'll be, it'll be freaking epic. The build up to that will be ridiculously epic. Did they not know I'm half black? Alright, that's that you're going in the wrong direction there, Connor. Um, and look, the fight would be good! I mean, it would be all action. Look, I think, whether he's, right now Cowboy's 35. Cowboy at 35 or 25, I think, has the style where he's there to be knocked out by Connor. Just my belief. But that fight will be fireworks no matter what. You make that fight next. You stop what you're doing and you make that fight. Connor, as you mentioned to me, came right out on Twitter and was like, congratulations, Donald. You got the fight. Right. And to go off what I was just saying, though, in that fight on Saturday, Cowboy looked stiff. But I'm just going to say that because I don't know what Alex Hernandez's game plan was going into that fight. Lose. But it was, the, it was the wrong one because he let Cowboy just get into a rhythm. Like, all Cowboy had to do was just wait to counter, hit him with a two or three punch combo, and he was in and out and backing up. He did not move his body at all. He was just going backward and forward. And he set him up with the one, two, three, and then the head kick finished him off. It was as simple as a game plan can be for Donald. Like, I've never, I've never, like, I like to watch Donald's fights, but it's so obvious, like, how to beat that guy. It, it to me, at least, it seems like it is, but, I, I don't know what Alex Hernandez well, was thinking going I into mean, that. I mean, it's not that easy, though. I mean, the thing about Cowboy, even in his prime, was you can hit him early. But he's tough as nails, great stamina. He's going to fig- he's gonna linger. He's going to figure out a way. He's going to wear you down. And that victory over Eddie Alvarez and Eddie Alvarez's UFC debut, I think, you know, still stands up as one of his best under that same reasoning. But, yeah, he's not the same guy anymore. But this is this is still – the this is it. This is it. That's the fight make. You, you make it. Dude, it's a pay-per-view main event. It really is. It's like the idea of like an in-between pay-per-view. Yep. I don't even think huh? you can put that on ESPN or a co-main or anything. That's a straight-up pay-per-view main event. Milk that cow. Anyway, uh, that sort of wraps up. UFC Brooklyn puts it in the rear view. Um, you want to talk about this Henry Cejudo thing or not? Uh, he's on Ariel's ESPN MMA show, of course, on Monday, shooting his shot to... WWE superstar and reality show star Nikki Bella, formerly of John Cena fame. Uh, this is interesting. There's a couple. They were married, weren't they? Uh, they were engaged. They were engaged. Uh, this is weird. Okay, because I don't <laughs> think it's real. 
because here's the thing. Nikki Bella is the star of Total Divas and Total Bellas, the spinoff. And it's immensely popular to the point where she doesn't have to wrestle anymore. And she, she does, you know, she's, she's in and out. She barely does. Uh, this feels like a work to just get Nikki's name into the MMA world. They'll, they'll share. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's fine if they want to go the distance with it. Consummate all you want, but I feel like this is a work. And a lot of us are just like, oh, look at this. Two, it's almost like the Mayweather McGregor fight. Otherwise, like, well, look at this. Two stars from different sides of the street. Let's do it. Ariel got a little giddy on Twitter. He was like playing matchmaker. He kind of, he kind of went, he went a little far with that. Ariel did a little bit more than that this weekend. Let's just say that. I, I don't want to talk about it right now, but I was very intrigued by how Ariel was treating the first ESPN show this weekend. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. We got hot takes here. We got hot takes there. Uh, I don't... Uh, but I agree with you on that, but not for Nikki's side. I agree with it for Henry's side. Because... Well, Ariel was excited. He was fired up for Henry. But if you're, if you're Henry, this gets you crossover marketing. Like this isn't anything for, he, he made a, a, a friendship, I guess, with Nikki on this flight where they were sitting next to each other before he got to Brooklyn. But how high was this friendship? Was it mile high? <laughs> Not usually let it linger. Just did you, do you have to? Do you have to let it linger? You threw the dead fish at me. I couldn't do anything with it. Um, <laughs> so I just think that yeah, this was more a great thing for Henry because he's going to get into the into the e network stuff now, like where people that wouldn't find him before are going to be able to see him. And if he makes it an appearance on their show, then that's going to only help him. So maybe he can cross paths on the show with. Uh, I don't know. Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar shows up once and just like tries to talk shit to him. Bobby Lashley, uh, Matt Riddle. Hey, speaking of Matt Riddle, former UFC welterweight this week on the State of Combat Pro Wrestling show, previewing all things Royal Rumble and NXT TakeOver this weekend. We do have a lengthy half hour chat with the one and only King of Bros, Matt Riddle. And we do talk about his exit from MMA and UFC, his Rocky relationship with Dana White. So a little plug there, wise man. Get on over to the wrestling show and check out my man, Matt Riddle. Anyway, Cejudo shot his shot. We'll, you know, we'll see with the, hey, kudos to him. I mean, it's Nikki Bella. I mean, this is, uh, I know you don't, you don't mess with that side of the street, but that's it. We're going to leave it right there. You're done. We got another pro wrestler that we need to talk about first. All right. Which one? Which one? What do you got for me? That's the, uh, Jake Hager. Oh, oh, the Hags, the Jack Swagger, the real American Bellator this weekend. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, hey, Mac Mania is out. You say, what's that, BC? I say on UFC Fight Pass. We all know UFC in celebration of the 25th anniversary has that documentary series that they've been floating out a couple every week. Hey, there's been some good ones in there. Why? You down on that? You, you up on that? You, you, you woke on that series they've been putting out? I followed a few of them. Um, I have not seen Mac Mania yet, though. I'm very intrigued to see it because of uh, one of the stars of the show is talking to me right now. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Mac Mania <laughs> launched yesterday. It profiles Conor McGregor's launch to stardom in the UFC and how that led, of course, to the impossible becoming possible when the fight with Floyd Mayweather was made and consummated. Your boy, BC, is one of the preferred talking heads in that show, along with my guy, Brett Okamoto, there's some Dan Raphael in there. 
So hey, check it out. Check out your guy. You know, check out some cuts. Check out some Conor McGregor. Uh, you know, Mac Mania there. I mean, it's it, it was well done. Well done by the UFC folks. Good little piece of business there. Twenty minutes long. Give it a ride. Uh, wise. Before we get into Bellator this weekend, uh, talk to me about what I missed when I was uh getting fat on the buffet. By the way, have you taken a cruise? I know you live in Florida. You can just cruise. You can go out tomorrow. You can just walk up to the ship and and probably get on for nothing. Are you a cruise man? I've been on three, I think, in my life. That's what I did for my bachelor party. We went to the Bahamas. They're they're interesting. This was my second in a row in, in consecutive years. I don't think I'll do another one, though, in a while. They're fun. You know, you go to this beautiful island for a day, and, you you know, I mean, look, being on a Caribbean beach is amazing. And then the next day, you're on another damn Caribbean beach. That's great. But there's a gluttonous side to this cruise ship living that I, like, I went too far. Uh, you talk about Cejudo shooting his shot. I shot my shot, bro. You know, any, anyone listens to the uh, boxing pod, hashtag load watch. I shot my shot when it comes to the food. I couldn't even walk. Yeah. I couldn't even walk back to the room a couple of the nights here. This is just I feel bad for starving people. Like, it's just bad what happens on cruise ships. Have you ever had a specialty dinner on a cruise ship? I think once, maybe. That's where you pay extra. You don't eat in the regular buffet or the regular sit-down dinner you go to the themed restaurant of choice wise you get like seven courses <laughs> they bring out plates that you literally take one bite off of just because you you felt bad that somebody cooked it and then they bring it back and they toss it i just i think i, I, think yeah. I lost my taste for it i don't think i live the same lifestyle as ubc so i i've never been on a cruise like that i don't do seven day cruises either i think that seven day cruises will make me lose my mind so, but yeah, you, I, I got kids. You got to go three day, them. man. You got to go three day. That's all. You, that's well, all. If need. I lived in Florida, I would. But there's no three days out of the port of Connecticut. Anyway, the point of me when I'm saying that when I'm in St. Martin, shirtless, just living, man. I got. I mean, by the way, the the uh, the, fr- the fruity drink of choice right now, Miami Vice. Have you had it? The Miami Vice. What's in it? I don't know. It's half strawberry daiquiri, half pina colada mixed together. And it's it's balls. It's balls tastic. Love. You love all these weird drinks. Every time you come down to Fort Lauderdale, you go to our vending machine to well, get the, the thing. The you fruit. live in a workplace that has a vending machine with twenty five cent sodas, which is amazing. And number two, one of them is like this weird Cuban mango, like weird. It's great, bro. I and it's like it's and there's a lot of caffeine in there. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I feel like Tony Montana coming out of there. How do you not get in on that? You're just like, yeah, it's a thing, whatever. I mean, bro, it's part of the culture down here. Like, right. it's just where it's the place we live. I'm sure if I go to Connecticut, I'm gonna see a bunch of stuff that I don't recognize. You won't. You won't. Besides great pizza, you won't see anything else. High taxes, you won't see anything else. All right. <laughs> anyway, my point, the no whole text, this yeah. whole point, bro, is when I'm laying on the beach shirtless up to my knees in, in fruity drinks, kids are rolling around in the ocean. Life is great. You're covering mixed martial arts. What did I miss? What's in the news? What fights have been consummated and made while I was gone? Let's talk about what's coming up. So I think before you left, we still thought that George Masvidal was fighting Nick Diaz at UFC 235. Jorge, my man. I think that was a thing. Well, that's not a thing anymore. Um, Nick Diaz has gone like MIA, and Dana's like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. So Jorge tweeted at Darren Till because apparently Darren Till was also looking for a fight. He thought that after they announced um, Colby – I'm sorry – Kamaru and Tyron, 
that Colby was talking like, hey, I will come to London and fight you, right? Well, apparently that wasn't going to work. So Jorge tweeted at Darren like, hey, I'm having trouble making a fight too. I love to fight in people's backyard. Let's do this. And Darren Till replied with a gif like getting really excited. (laughs) So after like 10 minutes later – UFC's like, hey, by the way, these guys are the main event in London in uh, March this year. What's going on right now? Do you feel like that at any other time in MMA journalism history, there's more fights being announced that are not true? Like, report, these two guys are fighting. Spoiler alert, they're not fighting. They're just not happening. Yeah, I don't know, because it feels like this fight was, though, announced. Like, and and Jorge had said he agreed to it when Dan Lambert was here with us a couple weeks ago. He said, he even said, like, yeah, George is coming around the gym saying he's fighting Nick Diaz, and he's like, and Dan was saying that he was like, yeah, let me know when you when you're hearing uh, Bruce Buffer announce your name in front of Nick Diaz. That's when I'll believe <laughs> that you're actually fighting. Yeah, let's get so, let's bring in Nick Diaz on that. Where I come from, you know, people like that get slapped. That's that's the truth. Stockton, live it. So I think the fight was going to happen, and then Nick didn't think that he was getting enough money. So it was another one of those negotiation things that we talked about the last time with the Diaz brothers and how they never feel like they're compensated correctly by UFC and UFC is always lowballing them and it's the vicious cycle. So to get to this fight though, I really like this fight. I think this is really interesting because Till, who also said that he's going to middleweight the same way that Yoel Romero was supposed to be going to light heavyweight, is going to stay at welterweight for this fight against Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal hasn't fought in over a year, and I actually spoke to him earlier this week, which we'll talk about next week. He is in a weird place because he lost to Stephen Thompson in 2017. Lost bad. And, yeah, it was ugly. He did not look right. He said that he was dealing with multiple injuries and that he also just wanted to take a break because he was grinding for a long time to get to the position he's in now. And he wanted to wait, and then he was still waiting to get another fight opportunity. But this oppor- this chance to be on a uh, Spanish-language reality show came up, and he took that, and he almost won the show. <laughs> like, he made it to, like, the almost to the end of the show where he thought he was only going to be there a couple weeks while they figured out his next fight. <laughs> so now he's out of that. He's back in the gym. And he sounds like he's really ready for this fight. Like, look, I love me some Masvidal, man. The guy bangs, and he brings it on the microphone. Let's do it. him against Till. That's some violence in London, too. I I tried to warn him, like, you know what what they do in London with fights, man. Like, that place has become like a mecca almost. And he said, I love those kind of situations. I live off of that kind of stuff. True or false? Stephen Thompson got screwed on the cards in London. That was in Liverpool. All right, it was the same thing. True or false? <laughs> Not the same thing. True or false? Andy Silva got screwed on the cards against Bisping in London. I would say Stephen Thompson has a better argument for getting screwed than Andy Silva does against Bisping. True or false? Dan Henderson got screwed on the cards against Bisping in London. No, he didn't. Come on, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Not in London. He got screwed on. No, wait, that wasn't London. Yeah, he did get screwed. You thought Henderson won the rematch against Bisping? I thought that. I thought that his being fought that stupid Floyd Mayweather style where he just didn't do anything and just kept backing up the whole time so that Dan couldn't hit him. By the way, Silva did get screwed, just for the record. When Anderson Silva walks into a room, you could hear a rat piss on cotton. But he got screwed. He got screwed. All right. All right. I want, I'm in for Masvidal. Dude, don't bury the lead, though. 
your loneliness as a Southern Florida MMA fan is coming to an end, broski. We got a card in FLA, and it's damn good. Uh, you guys can't hear me just dancing in this room right now because I could not be more excited. Wow, that, that sounded a little – wow, you really you, – you, I think I you went over the – I've been, clean I up asked, on aisle wise right now. Seriously. I ask these guys every time I go to ATT when this is happening. I've been asking them for two years and UFC is finally going to do it. They're coming back uh, allegedly, reportedly. We know how these reports go sometimes. But according to Combate, UFC fight night on ESPN3 will be from Miami, the American Airlines Arena on April 27th featuring Yoel Romero against Paulo Costa, finally. Finally. Bro, that fight bangs. The third time they're going to try and book this fight, but I am so happy because this is the only, this is the only fight to me you could book right now that makes sense for Miami, right? Like, you've got to play into the Cuban fan base because there's a lot of people that follow that dude and will follow him throughout his, the rest of his entire career, right? Yes. This is a hell of a good fight. This fight's going to be fantastic. I'm happy you're going to get a chance to see it. I don't really know. Like, Romero, like, I guess should win that. But, like, this could be – like, they're going to bang. This is going to be a fun-ass fight. At some point, Romero's got to look his age. Maybe when he's 50. I don't know. At some point, right? Never doubt round three Romero. Uh, round that's three the, Romero comes out of the corner with a mohawk. And I'm talking about 2013 Vitor Mohawk. Wow. All right, I love that fight. Any other fights we got? We got to steer this 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 weird ass ship back out of the Titanic hole. Any other fights we got to talk about before we head into the Bell Tour this weekend? We got one more. The one for our buddy Jack Crosby in Philadelphia. Yesterday was announced. The main event will be. Are you ready, BC? Edson Barbosa versus Justin Gaethje. Oh, that's a pile of sex. That's fantastic. I mean. The two fights that I saw yesterday getting announced, I I literally was running around my apartment. I was so excited because you could not have gotten two more wars than what they picked to 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 announce. Like Edson Barbosa against Justin Gaethje is just violence part seventy seven from Gaethje. Like there's gonna be a dead body in the ring. Faces of death. Yeah, I like that. I like where you're going with that. Wow. Yeah, that is. That's going to be a badass fight. Man, I love Barbosa against Strikers. I lo- this is going to be so much fun. I'm in on that. All right, let's get into this weekend, though. And it is Saturday night from the Forum in Inglewood, California. Inglewood, yes, still up to no good. And it's Bellator 214 coming to you live on the Paramount Network, also on DAZN. Get in DAZN, brothers. It's still a thing. And it's the finals of the Bellator Heavyweight World Grand Prix. And I will say, Brandon Wise, this tournament has been a fun-ass success. And they got a finals match that really coming in. I mean, you could argue that this is the best-case scenario because you got the legend Fedor making it all the way to the finals. And you have potentially almost a star-making run for Ryan Bader if he can win it. Yes, we knew about him forever as a perennial contender for the UFC's 205 title, even though he never quite got to that point and always seemed to lose right before he was on the doorstep. He's reinvented himself as a heavyweight. He's already the Bellator light heavyweight champion, and he has a chance to be the champ champ in Bellator. And if he wants to stay at heavyweight for how good he has looked thus far, granted against he one-shot King Mo in five seconds and he 
fought a Matt Mitrione who apparently can't wrestle <laughs> at all, uh, but still looked great doing it. If he rolls through Fedor, we have a a potential success story on here in terms of reinvention. Whether you want to call it Fedor Bador, Fader Bader, wherever you're going with this wise, it's a good ass fun matchup on paper, which has really been what this tournament's all about. Yeah, I mean, every fight of this tournament has been incredible, save for the Mitrione-Bader fight, right? Like, every other fight, I think, was only around. <laughs> Mitrione-Roy Nelson maybe was one of the lower okay, points. Okay, yeah, you're right. No, you're right. That was the worst fight of the group. But the the other five... Well, have- Chael Sonnen Rampage was, was, besides Chael getting caught a couple times, was pretty damn awful, too. Stop, stop reminding me of all the bad fights. I had washed <laughs> those out of my memory. Um but yes, this was probably, I think, best case scenario, right? Like, Fedor, the legacy that he has in MMA, being the quote-unquote goat of heavyweight. I just don't know how well he's going to match up with Bader, man. Like, to me, this is kind of scary if I'm Fedor. Like, he's got the power, but good lord, does he not have the chin. He doesn't, but... For as good as Brian Bader has looked, and again, look, we talked about the matchmaking here. In a way, you can argue that, I mean, you can argue for either guy, that they were sort of, you know, made to order in the guys they ended up facing. But obviously, Bader looked next level good against Mitrione, and you can't argue with a one-punch knockout against King Mo, essentially. But Bader, historically, little, I don't want to say chinny. Chinny's probably the wrong word, but... There's something he does in the face of a destructive puncher that doesn't always give you full confidence, right? Like, when he fought Anthony Johnson and got one punch KO'd in the round one, we kind of said coming in, man, Bader's got to be careful. He could walk right into one punch KO here because Bader, I don't know if it's maybe the lack of head movement, the deer in the headlights when things get hairy. We saw Glover Teixeira send him to hell in 2013. We saw Leota Machida do the same thing in 2012. There's a history here where against a big striker, you can catch him. Fedor's a heavyweight, and for as washed as Fedor is, he proved it in this tournament, man, he's still got it for quick hands to one-punch somebody, one-shot somebody, if you will. That's why this fight's going to be really fun. Granted, round one should be way more fun than round two or three or, I don't know, what are they going, three rounds is the, is the total here, correct? Is it? I thought it was five. It's been three this whole tournament. I got, we got to find out if they're going five for this main event. I guess you should if you, this is the tournament final. Right, and it's on for that. the belt. But the point here is, at the very least, Brandon, this first round's going to be really fun. Because, of course, Bader's going to want to take him down. And he's going to want to try to control him with his speed. And he's a great wrestler. But Fedor's going to fight. And Fedor, I know, granted, look, he fought Chael Sonnen, who's a middleweight, essentially. But Fedor showed a lot of fight on the ground to continue to get back up and move that fight back up to the feet. There's going to be some hairy moments for Darth Bader. That's what's going to make this fun. Obviously, like anyone facing Fedor at this wash point, even if that anyone is Fabio Maldonado, who, by the way, did get screwed on the cards in Moscow, you get him into the deeper end of the pool, he's going to show up washy, brother. You know what I'm talking about. So you got to – tell me if I'm wrong. I think you got to like Faber. Favor, Uriah Favor. No, Uriah Bader. I think you gotta like Bader because of the youth in terms of the betting side of it. But you can't count out Fedor. And what this gives Bellator in this whole run for Fedor to get back to this point has been, you know, 
fountain of youth, fun to go back and, you know, because look, they created the Strike Force tournament kind of to have this moment, and they didn't get it because Verdum tapped him out before the tournament, and then Giant Silva just sat on his chest and just beat the crap out of him. But we're back. This has been nostalgic and fun. And this is a fun cherry on top, Brandon Wise. If Fedor finds Bador's chin and sends him to hell, and one more time we get to celebrate Fedor in a moment that kind of matters. He would be the Bellator heavyweight champion in his washed age. That'd be fun to see him put that on top of the heavyweight goat resume. That's that's all great analysis. That's great. Like I'm very excited for the possibility of the nostalgia tour right there. My question to you is, does the nostalgia tour end on Saturday night if Fedor wins? Does he take the belt and then immediately retire, which would make all of this tournament for nothing? <laughs> because Bellator <laughs> would again not have a heavyweight champion. Uh didn't haven't they already set up who the tournament would fa- winner would face? Aren't they facing the who was the Bellator champion that that was stripped for inactivity a couple years ago? The last time we had one was that Minikov. I thought it was Volkov. Honestly, it's one of the Kovs. I thought they were setting up that the Kov would get the winner. But you know, you got an interesting thing about what you're saying there. Is Fedor just going to? No, I think here's the thing about Bellator is the perfect soft home for for Fedor. There are so many undersized heavyweights, you know, aging names, Chael Sonnen-like figures that you can make fights with. I think he's just going to continue to make these kind of circus celebrity fights just with the Bellator heavyweight championship around his waist should he beat Bader. By the way, that's great for business. I don't think he walks off. I don't think there's a reason to walk off until he gets really Bigfoot Silva again, until somebody just beats him down and and we get that feeling that we had back in 2011, by the way, which is a, it's a long-ass time ago when we thought, of course, he was washed then, but he's kind of resurrected himself. I think you let him ride it out a little bit. Are, are there any old names in this Bellator stable you want to see him with? I do. Okay, call up Vitor Belfort. Call up Rashad <laughs> Evans. Call up anybody. That's what Bellator is. It's a Florida retirement home for these guys. I get it. I do. But how old? He's what, 40 now? Is he 42? He's, he's, he's old. He's but the guy, okay, so the guy who had the belt before was Vitaly Minikov. So you were right. He's 42, um, by the way. Fedor, 42. Minikov is fighting Czech Congo on February 16th at Bellator 216. If you're telling me the winner of that fight is fighting this champion of this tournament, I'm intrigued. I mean, Czech Congo, for. <laughs> He's another one of those guys in the retirement home who just happens to keep knocking dudes out. Like, his last two fights have lasted like two minutes total with him just pulverizing people. So, if you're telling me that's what's next for this, then sure. But I'm just not convinced that this isn't like one last try for Fedor to add another title to his resume and his lineage and be like, hey, I conquered all of this. Nobody can touch me kind of thing. You're right, but Coker can protect him. And what I mean by that, there, there's something that I love about the Bellator Circus idea. And when I say circus, I don't mean the Shamrock Gracie 3 or Kimbo Dada. That's extreme circus. They're kind of lowering that a little bit and just giving you regular old circus. And under the terms of the Coker old circus, you just it gives you that feel, or at least it does to me, of the original UFC days where weight classes don't matter. It's just like, well, there's two famous people. Let's have them fight each other. So you could do, by the way, wise... Gegard Musasi against Fedor. Crazy, right? Well, Musasi's already been talking about that. You can do 
Machida against Fedor. These are fights that we'd all want to see. It's the aging, older guy with the big right hand against the younger, slicker. You know, like, there's some soft outs that you can set Fader up with. Because it's not like you have to protect the sanctity of the belt or heavyweight championship. The thing's been on ice longer than Walt Disney's head. That's a South Florida joke for you. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I actually don't hate that Musasi idea, by the way. Um, that's pretty interesting to me. Because, like you said, Musasi has said he wants to be able to say he was a champion at all divisions that he competed. So if he actually decided to make that move up to heavyweight, I mean, I'm interested. I'm in. I'm in with that. All right, but not, finally, but not against Ryan Bader though, because that that to me is a bad matchup for Musasi. Let's final predict here. Look, Bader's going to take him down. It's going to get out of round one, and if it gets out of round one, Bader's going to wear him down. I don't know if Bader's going to finish him though. I'm going to go Bader by decision. The end's going to be sloppy. Fedor's going to try his best to get up. It's going to be hard. He's going to gas. We see the distance. Three rounds. The winner, your new champ, champ heavyweight champion, Darth Bader. I go, I'm going to go second round TKO for Bader. I just think if Bader gets Fader to the ground, I think that he's just going to bring in those elbows and just put a lot of punishment on Fedor and his age is going to show. And I just, I would be worried if I was Fedor in this fight because like you said, if he's, if he's able to land that one punch that finishes the fight early, then credit to him. But, man, does he not match up well on the ground with a dude like Bader. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. This co-main event, it's Aaron Pico. It's the guy rebuilding himself, the greatest prospect in MMA history. We just saw him step up recently. Every time he steps up, looks even better, knocking fools out. Now he's facing another experienced fellow in featherweight, Henry Corrales. What do you need to see here out of uber prospect Pico? This is actually like interesting to me because they've been giving him like these really soft matchups right like trying to build up the resume trying to build up the highlight reel the confidence too by the way after he got sunned in that debut right this is a major step up in competition if you ask me like henry corrales is not a dude that's just going to get walked through so if they're doing this intentionally to make sure that he doesn't just like finish a fight in 10 minutes in like three minutes in the first round, then I like it because you're giving somebody a challenge and you're making him step up to the plate and take on a dude who you're going to have to probably war with for, for three rounds. So I need to see a gas tank one. I need to see dynamic striking because what we've seen from him with his punches is incredible. He's been able to that those liver shots are just undeniably strong. They're finishing dudes. So I need to see more dynamic striking, more elbows, more kicks. I just need to see more complete game because all we've seen from him is stand-up. We have not seen a wrestling game. We have not seen takedowns. I need to see all of that in one picture or in, in one performance. I'm with you. I'm with you. We got to see. We, this is a step up. And I thought his last fight against Leandro Higo was certainly a step up, and he looked great. Pico's not showing you the perfect package yet, though. He still gets hit a little bit too much. That's going to be interesting. I still think, by the way, matchmaking-wise, you go back, you run it back against Freeman, who he lost to in his pro debut. You get him that win back. But I think he's at the right, right weight class now at featherweight. Man, he can box. Of course he can wrestle. He's a phenom. It's fun watching him each step of the way, whether it's against jobbers or it's this incrementally the next step. This is a good fight. This will tell us more. This will give us the more information that we need. But I think he's in the right spot in the co-main event here. 
And I think Aaron Pico wins this because I think he is that dude ultimately. It was just, it was a bad decision to put him in a lightweight pro debut, a division that doesn't really seem to be his home against a guy who was maybe more experienced than a lot of people realize. But this will kind of tell us that he's ready for even more. And if, look, I continue if I'm Coker to just lock this dude down. Don't let this guy one day wake up and go, why am I not in the UFC, right? And I know that they've been putting money in his bank account since he was in high school. This was a long-term project for Bellator to make him a homegrown star. I think you got to say you want to see it happen. You want to see what it's going to look like when he gets there. Yeah, that was going to be my question is like if if he's able to show really strong performance against a dude like Corrales, how much does UFC got to put in front of him before he decides that what Bellator has been giving him isn't enough? Like I it's like you said, it's probably going to have to be substantial for them to buy out that contract, but I don't know how much longer you can let him just stay at Bellator, you know? Like Featherweight, I mean, and to be fair, though, featherweight and UFC is already loaded as it is, right? Him against some of those top like top 15 guys in UFC would be really fun. I just don't know that he's there yet. And him against, like, Pitbulls. Saying, him against Pitbulls, plural, would still be fun, too, though. So we'll see like, how far like they could. actual Pitbulls? Yeah, real Pitbulls. Yeah, actually, uh, we thought we were going to see Gegard Musasi defending his Bellator middleweight champion against Rafael Lovato Jr., but Musasi pulled out with a back injury. Lovato is off the card. Pico is your co-main, but another featured fight on the card. You mentioned it. Jack Swagger, the real American of WWE fame, is Jake Hager, ex-Oklahoma two-sport standout. He's 36 now, though. Has never had a pro fight, although he certainly is six foot eight, and he can wrestle. He'll be in there against a guy... To steal a wrestling term, kind of feels like a jobber in Owen one JW Kaiser. If you remember Bobby Lashley's Bellator run, you know that Bellator likes them extra sloppy when it comes to setting their heavyweight projects up to look good. You have to feel wise that this is the ultimate squash match again to go into the wrestling well, but I'm cheering for Jake Hager to at least look like something. I think I want it to be better than CM Punk and I think he will. He's got the, the size. And the legitimate wrestling background. I know it's been 15 years, whatever, but let's see what we got here. I'm not trying to say let's put him in there with Fedor, by the way, but let's see what we got here. This is Bellator. It's the land of the bazaar. You can make clown fights. Yeah, my only concern would be <laughs> that it's a Greg Hardy situation where the guy that they put in front of him is better than we actually know that he is, <laughs> and he looks overmatched very quickly, but... Yeah, I mean, I have, I don't know his background as well as you, as you do from following him with WWE. Is he a strong boxer or is he a more wrestler? Is he, he's a big, he was a, he was a college wrestler, right? Yeah, at Oklahoma, he was a legitimate star college wrestler. And like I mentioned, he's six foot eight. He's strong. I don't know how much the gas tank from WWE translates to MMA, but I have to think it helps in comparison to a lot of the guys who move into combat sports because I say what you will about pro wrestling, dude. They're moving out there. You know what I mean? You got to be conditioned for that. We'll see if he gets winded like a lot of guys who come into the sport, but uh I, we don't know anything really about his striking because he doesn't seem to have a boxing background unless I'm missing it. It's really you- wrestling based and he's a big dude, but it comes down to taking a punch, which is something even Brock Lesnar couldn't really figure out to do on the elite level but we're not trying to turn jake hager into brock lesnar here again we're just trying to make a hobby he's 36 look it's a hobby it's a a potential attraction i'm here for it though i'm here for it let's see what he's got i don't think jw kaiser's got much i think mike kaiser might have a better chance of uh, cbs sports executive is he executive now mike kaiser one of those behind the scenes stars at cbs sports yeah 
that was going to be my question though is how he's been out of wrestling for how long now because he had to take some time off to learn more of the the style and training here for you for Bellator or just mixed martial arts in general so that would be my only question about him building up his gas tank for these kinds of fights um but yeah i i'm very curious to see what this looks like we don't have a lot of dudes over six seven in you in mixed martial arts right now so a giant walking amongst men would be very fun to watch no matter what get stefan struve on the horn that's your payoff fight down the road uh i don't think there's any other fights worth talking about on this bellator card i'm not even sure if there's any other fights worth watching on this bellator card take that with what you will wise you can put me in my place we good we can wrap this thing Ricky Bendejas? No? No. No. Okay. All right, that's Bellator 214. Hey, Wise Man, as you mentioned, has been out in the local Florida gyms collecting sound. We're going to have some good interviews coming up in the near future. Also hear from our colleague, the great Jack Crosby, who you've heard in and out of this podcast a few times. You heard him last week on the wrestling show, if you're into that. Well, a lot of wrestling talk today, Wise, just to get under your damn skin. Yes. This guy hates pro wrestling. Hates it. Hates it. You're welcome. Hates that thing. Just hates it. This is number one bullshit. Yeah, well, you know, can't argue with that. Royal Rumble on Sunday. Wise. Hey, Brock, Rousey, Lashley. You got any, you, you want to talk Royal Rumble with me? No, no. If it means Brock is coming to UFC, I'll talk to you about it. All right. I don't think it means any of that. All right. Hey, that is our show for this week. Follow us at State of Combat on Twitter. At B Campbell CBS. Wise, what do you got there? You got a handle? You got a handle out there? At Brandon Wise 65. Your old football number. 65. Live it. Hi. Live it. Love it. Wow. So I thought you about six, they say for six eight you stood. You and Jake Hager. That's our show for this week. Get bent. Get hyped. Whatever you gotta do. I'm back from vacation. I'm ready, folks. We back, but for now, we out.